I'm more and more convinced that God is much bigger than we can ever imagine. And when one day when we have that face-to-face encounter with God, we will be amazed at how enormous He is. And I'm convinced of that. Welcome back. It's been a couple of weeks since uh, I last saw you guys. And, um, it's uh, it's going to be a good day, I hope. Um, I'm excited about today. I, I found this and I thought it would be kind of appropriate what we're, we're going to talk about. Sherlock Holmes and Dr. Watson. Everyone heard of Sherlock Holmes? Well, he, Sherlock Holmes and Dr. Watson one day went camping. And they pitched their tent under the stars and they climbed into the tent and they went to sleep. This is one of those old-fashioned tents where they basically just strung a string between the trees and just threw a blanket over, essentially, and that became the tent. So they they climbed in under the tent and they they fell asleep. And then sometime in the middle of the night, Holmes woke Watson up and said, Watson, look up at the stars and tell me what you see. And Watson replied, I see millions and millions of stars. And Holmes replied, he says, well, what do you deduce from that, my dear Watson? And Watson replied, well, if there are millions of stars... And if even a few of those have planets, it's quite likely there are some planets like Earth out there. And if there are a few planets like Earth out there, I wonder if there might also be life. Holmes said, Watson, you fool. It means that somebody stole our tent. (laughs) It's so easy, I think, for us to miss the obvious. To miss something that has been right there and, you know, staring us in our face. And we, we miss it. And, and we begin to focus in on something else. And uh, I think that's what's happened to the Gospel. I think we've missed a big part of the Gospel. And so to, this morning, today, I think it's the day, the morning through our summer, where we get to, to see the rest of this Gospel. What makes this Gospel the good news that causes men to rejoice, men to exalt God, men to, to leap with glad tidings, as one man said. And, and I'm hoping today we can kind of pull back the curtain and, and see what we've been maybe missing for many of us. To see why this word salvation, the Greek word sozo, literally means to made, be made whole. What does that mean? How is it that God is making us whole? So we began this summer talking about becoming a community of grace. A community of people that will walk alongside people and support one another in their relationship with God opposed to what often ends up happening is this community of good intentions. A community of good intentions is where we we come together and we say we strive, we determine to walk alongside you to help you fix your sin and deal with your shame in order that we might please God. And it may sound good, but it is one that will lead to destruction. There's a way that sounds right to man, the way that seems right, but it's the way that leads to death, Proverbs says. In this community of good intentions, it sounds good, I get to fix my sin and I get to deal with my shame. Great, wonderful, be all gone. And then I can please God. But that's where the lie is. That somehow what you do or do not do will please God. It's not what it's about. Instead, this community of grace is a community of people that support one another to let you know how wonderful our God is. How incredible He is. That we might run to Him and we might trust Him that we might follow where He leads us and what He's wanting to do, regardless of what that means and where that takes us. Because He is worthy of that praise. And so that's what this community of grace becomes. But if we don't be intentional about that, we will will inevitably drift back into this community of good intentions. 
And what we do then in trying to deal with our sin and deal with our shame is we begin to hide. We hide our sin. We hide our shame because we don't want you to see it. We don't want you to see the failures that we think we believe we are. We don't want you to see all our perceived faults. And so hiding that just begins to, to lead to more sins and more, more, more problems. And then I must fix all you guys too. And, and so then I try to begin to control you. So A, you don't see my sins and my shame, but then maybe I can fix your sins and your shame, your shame especially when your problems begin to stir up my problems. And so we have a bunch of people coming together that aren't loving one another anymore. They're hiding and they're trying to fix and try to control. This community is good in tank. But the problem is flesh cannot overcome flesh. All it does is just manage our sins. And our flesh may look better. It may become even more socially acceptable. We may yell at our kids less. We may be easier to be around. But it's still empty. It's still without life. It's without the life of God. And as Paul so aptly described this in Romans 7.24, when you're in this position, oh miserable person that I am. That's what the word wretched means. It doesn't mean, oh horrible, rotten, sinful person am I. It just means, oh miserable person that I am. How depressed I am in this state. Who will rescue me from this, this body of death, this situation I'm in? From this dominion that death has over me. Who will rescue me from that? Or as Eugene Peterson puts it in the message, I've tried everything and nothing helps. I'm at the end of my rope. Is there no one who can do anything for me? Isn't that the real question, he says? And that is the real question. For it's not, what can I do? What can I pray? What can happen? But rather, who will rescue me? Who will be the one to deliver me? And the answer is always Jesus Christ and the cross. He's the one who is our Savior. He's the one that has rescued us. He's, he's laid down His life to deal with our sins and our shame at His expense that you and I might have that freedom that which we are so excited to have. So this morning, today, I hope that we get to discover it. We get to see what God has done. How God has set us free in all, the, in all shapes and to the degrees that we are free. To see that the work of the cross is truly finished. It is complete. So with that in mind, why don't we pray and we'll ask God to reveal to us, not just with a a simple mental understanding, but rather one where our hearts grip it and grasp it and we begin to sink our teeth into this gospel, this salvation that we have. So I pray that God will open our eyes to it this morning. Heavenly Father, You are truly worthy of our praise. You are far more worthy than our praise. You are absolutely incredible, God. And we marvel at at who You are, even though we don't even have a clue how big You are and who You really are. We just have glimpses of it. And Father, I pray this morning that, that we would begin to see this salvation, this message of the cross in a new way, in a deeper way. That we would see the freedom that is there. That we would see the power that's And Father, I recognize that there is no hope that I have in making people see this. This is Your truth. This is Your message. And it's Your work. So I confess my dependence upon You, Father, and I'm trusting by faith that You will make this real in all our hearts. Regardless if we heard this before or not, let us see for what it is, the glory of the cross. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The reason I I put such confidence 
in the fact that the cross is our is the place where the answers are are, are lying, is because that's what Scripture says. Um, grab your your Bibles, or I guess tap your way to First Corinthians. Now is is probably the 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 more acceptable term, unless you're a Neanderthal like me, um, and then you can flip. The problem with tapping is I don't know when you found the page. It's too quiet. First uh, Corinthians chapter one. And we're going to read verses 17 and 18. And Paul here is writing to uh, the church in Corinth, a church that has gotten sidetracked, a church that has gotten into all kinds of trouble, that's led to many immorality, many sinful acts, led to shame, led to all kinds of problems. And yes, Paul will address that, but he wants to deal with something else first. He wants to bring them back to the core of Christianity. And so beginning in verse 17, he says, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Not in cleverness of speech that the cross of Christ should not be made void. I'm so glad that Paul was not this fancy, eloquent speaker. It gives me hope. And so he says, I didn't come with with powerful messages and and snazzy sermons and so forth. I just came to, to share the gospel with you. And why that? Because in verse 18... He says, the word of the cross, this message of the cross, this is the gospel, he's saying, is to those who are perishing, it's foolishness. But to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. You see, what lies within the gospel, what lies within this message of the cross, is the power of God by which we are being saved. It's not just something that one day we'll be saved. It's not just something that's happened in our past that we've been saved from, but it's something that we are currently being saved. It matters to today. And you see, I think much of Christianity has become irrelevant. Because yes, it deals with my past, and yes, it has secured my future, but for today, it's kind of irrelevant. I don't know what it means for me today. There was a, a, a pastor... I went and he traveled abroad to, I think it was India, and he met with some local pastors there, and they were just beginning to share the gospel, and, and he was talking to them, he said, well, I'm, I'm excited about my, my new church that we're growing, we're, we're having all kinds of people come every Sunday, but the problem is, come Monday, they go back to their markets, and they go back to their false gods, and their, their fortune tellers, and so forth, they just kind of go back to their, their regular life. And so this visiting pastor said, well, I'll come to your church on Sunday, and, and maybe we can find out what the problem is. And so he went there, and on that Sunday, that preacher, he gave a simple salvation message. Come to Jesus, and all your sins will be dealt with, and one day you'll get to go to heaven. And so afterwards, the pastor came up, and he says, is that the message you preach every week? He goes, yep, I preach that message every week. And he says, I see that's your problem. He says, what? What's the problem? He says, well, yes, it's great that their sins are forgiven, and yes, it's great that they're going to heaven one day, but you're not helping them with today. And so the result of that is they go back to their markets, they go back to their fortune tellers because they have answers for what they need today. You're only sharing part of the gospel. You're not sharing at all. Because the power of, the, of God, the gospel, is what allows us to be saved today. So the answer then, or the question I guess that needs to be asked is, what is the message of the cross? What is the salvation message that we, we hold so dear? And you might think, well, that's kind of simple. I mean, don't we already know that? But every person I've ever asked that question to has never answered that one fully. They've only answered it with half of it. And I've asked pastors, I've asked missionaries, I've asked 
Bible teachers and Bible college professors and not one of them has given me the answer. They only focus on half of it. And they miss what is so relevant and so powerful to today. So let's understand it then. What is, what is this gospel message? Let's start with um, the simple part. What happened to Jesus on that cross? Well, Romans 5.8 says that while we were yet sinners, God demonstrated His love for us by sending Christ to die on the cross for us. Think about that. While you and I were sinful, while we were horrible, rotten, to the core kind of people, not when we had a little bit of good in us, when we were no good, when we were filthy rags, when we were literally rotten fruit, it says in Romans 3. Good for nothing. God demonstrates His love. He proves His love for you and I that He sends His Son to die on that cross that you and I might be forgiven. Later on in, in the letter to Corinth, Paul says this, I deliver to you as in first importance, first importance, not last, but first importance, that Christ died on the cross according to Scriptures for the forgiveness of our sins. He was buried and then He rose three days later. That's the ABC, the basics of Christianity. But I want you to understand that He died for your sins. Our sins required a death. Forgiveness wasn't cheap. It doesn't cost us much to have forgiveness, but it cost God everything because He paid that price. And that's what we were worthy of. We were worthy, worthy of death. We were worthy of that punishment and God said, I will take it upon Myself. And when you sit back and look at that, you must come to the conclusion, who is like our God? You look at other religions and who do they sacrifice? Other people. They don't sacrifice themselves. And their God most certainly won't sacrifice Himself. They just go find someone else and force that person to be sacrificed. But our God, what does He say? I will give myself. I will pay that sacrifice myself. I will provide it with my Son, Jesus Christ. And so the death that we deserve, the punishment that was belonging to us because of what we did, Christ went and paid for that. Remarkable. Simply remarkable. And we see the love that God has for you and I. I think we, we, we look at this and we, we lose sight of it so easily. It's so, so simple to hear that God loves us and we see it because He died and it just... Next, we move on to something else. And I think we lost sight of the fact that He truly gave up everything. He truly suffered so much just so you and I could be with Him because He loved us. He demonstrated His love for us. And sometimes we think, well, if God loves me, then He should prove it to me. What else does He need to do? The marvelous thing is He does. I mean, that, that just blows my mind. He continues to prove His love to us. But He shouldn't have to. He's already done enough. He's already done everything when He sent His Son to die on that cross. He loves you perfectly now. The God of this universe. The one that we said how exalted He is. He's bigger and greater than we can ever imagine. He loves you. Perfectly. Completely. Why do we need anything else? And yet we feel we do. But He loves us. 
because of what He did, what He gave up, what He sacrificed for you and I on that cross. As Paul says in Romans, He demonstrates that love on that cross. If you have any doubt, am I loved by God? Go watch the movie The Passion. It's an ugly movie. It's an ugly movie and it's supposed to be. And you know what? I don't think that movie even came close to what Jesus suffered. I don't think it even came close. And He willingly did that for you and I. Incredible. But you see, as glorious as that is, it's insufficient. As wonderful as it is to be forgiven, it's not enough. You see, if that's all that happened on that cross, if all that happened was you and I were forgiven, we're still in rough shape. You see, our problem wasn't that we'd sinned. That was just the byproduct. The problem was that we're under the dominion of sin and death. That the life we had was separate from God and was rotten to the core. That we were sinful by nature. We were children of wrath, Paul says in Ephesians. The problem wasn't what we did, it was who we are. The very life we had, that was the problem. And if God forgives us, that's great, but that doesn't change me. And not only that, it's wonderful that I'm forgiven, but, but I want to love my wife. I want to love my kids. I want to love other people. And forgiveness, how does that help me? How does being forgiven help me to love today? It doesn't. All forgiveness does is help me for when I screw up. And that's wonderful. That's great. But don't you ever get tired of screwing up? Don't you ever wish that there was another option? That there is a way that we can live and find victory and find freedom and actually do what we want to do, which is to love people? Well, that's what the other side of the cross is all about. That's what is the power of God to that which we are being saved, by which we can actually love people. That I can love my wife and I can love my kids as they need to be loved not without my pitiful love that I have. And so we need to go back to the Scriptures to discover what else happened on that cross. So turn in your Bibles to Romans 6. Romans 6 and verse 3. One of the, the great books of the New Testament because it is such, such rich theology, such such important doctrine, such important teachings that we need to grip and, and grasp. And Paul here in Romans 6 and verse 3, right in the center of this, in the middle of this great book, he says, Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into His death? See, what Paul's saying here with the word baptized, he's not referring to your water baptism. In fact, if anything, water baptism is referring to what Paul's talking about here. The word baptize literally just means to be put into, to be immersed into, or to be placed into. And what Paul is saying here, that when God, when He rescued you and I, when He, he saved us by placing us into Christ, He did more than that. He also placed you into His death. Meaning, when Christ was hanging up on that cross, what was happening to you and I? We were more than just being forgiven. What was happening to you and I? Well, look at verse 6. Knowing this, knowing that I was placed into Christ and placed into His death, knowing this, 
that my old self, my old man, was crucified with Him. See, who died in Romans 6.6? 6? Who died on that cross? Was it just Jesus? No. It was you and me. It was that old, unregenerate, wicked, sinful, despicable, rotten, shamed sinner was crucified with Christ. And He was buried with Him and He is now gone. Knowing this, I find it interesting that 2,000 years ago, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Paul wrote in verse 3, Do you not know? Have you not heard? Has no one ever told you? Has no one ever explained this to you? That you died with Christ. And in my experience, most Christians do not know. I talked to a pastor one time and I said to him, we were talking, I said, do you, would you agree with me that less than 10% of Christians know they died with Christ? He agreed. We didn't want to get hung up on numbers. So it might be even far less than 10%. It might be less than 5 but less than 10% of Christians know they died with Christ. My next question to him is, when do you plan on teaching that then to people? He says, I have no plans. I have no plans. And I was, I was awestruck at this. The message of the cross, the, the, the power by which we are being saved, the power of God, and he had no plans to teach it. And probably because no one had taught him. No one had sat him down and explained to him that he could see the glory of it. Maybe he knew about it intellectually. Yet there's a verse in Romans that says that. Yep, there's a verse in Galatians and Colossians and Peter and so forth. Yeah, there are many verses in the Bible that talk about that. And we begin to, to water it down and say, well, it's, a, it's just an analogy or it's a picture or we're in this process of dying. And we don't take God at His Word anymore. Knowing this, this is the fact of history that you ought to know. That your old man, your old self, not is in the process of dying, not will die one day, doesn't need to die each and every day. He was crucified. He has been crucified, past tense. It is a done deal. So that sin may no longer be my master. So that I might be free that I might be this new person, this new creation, that I might live and experience a whole new life. And that's what's so powerful about the Gospel. That's what's so glorious about the Gospel. Let me illustrate it to you in this way. It's a really, really silly, silly illustration. But I'm going to use a, an illustration involving wolves and sheep and a shepherd. Now, what do wolves do? What is it? This is the audience participation portion of this morning. So, what do wolves do? They eat sheep. In fact, if we could imagine, a wolf would probably wake up and his first thought in the morning is, are there any sheep? I mean, he's not wondering what he's going to have for dinner. He's not wondering what he's going to have for breakfast or lunch. He's just wondering, which sheep is he going to eat? And so, why do wolves eat sheep? They're tasty. Easy catch? Why? Why do they... I mean, why sheep? Why not coconuts? Because it's their nature. It's who they are. That's what wolves do. Wolves eat sheep. It's who they are. 
And therefore, if wolves eat sheep, do you think sheep like wolves? Not very much. And, and in, therefore, if wolves are the mortal enemy of all sheep, they're also the mortal enemy of all shepherds. Because the shepherd's role is to protect sheep, is to care for sheep. And so, a shepherd will fight off wolves. He will, he will defer the wolves in order to protect his flock, to, to protect his sheep. That's his job. That's his mission in life. Well, I want you to imagine now this shepherd. He's, he's walking down this road and he's got his flock behind him. And he comes across this wolf that has been left for dead. The other, these other wolves in this pack, they turned on him. I don't know why. Maybe it was because um, they were mean and they were cruel and you know they, they, they got to bully somebody and so they picked on this wolf and they, they attacked him. Maybe this wolf deserved it. Maybe he was picking on everyone else and they said enough and they all ganged up on him and they, they, they attacked him and they left him for dead. He is dying now on the side of this road. And the shepherd comes up and he sees this wolf. And he, his first instinct is wolf, and he gets his staff ready to beat it, but then he sees this wolf is dying. And this, this shepherd is this loving, gentle, caring shepherd, and his heart goes out to the wolf now. He can't bear just to let the wolf die. It's, it's not in the shepherd. It's not his character. It's not his nature. And so he, he instinctively begins to, to pick up the wolf, and he, he cares for the wolf. He nurses his wounds. He, he binds them up. He, he, he finds some food somewhere for him. He shares some of his own food. He's looking after the, the wolf and he, and he nurses the wolf back to health. But in this process of caring for the wolf, he's fallen deeply in love with this wolf. And in fact, the wolf has fallen deeply in love with the shepherd because he is so grateful that this, the shepherd has saved him. He is so wonderfully excited that in this point of his death, the shepherd has come and, and rescued him that he, he doesn't want to part from the shepherd. And the shepherd doesn't want to part from the wolf. But the shepherd's got a problem. Because what do wolves do? Why? Because it's their nature. And guess what the shepherd's got? A lot of sheep. A warehouse full of them, essentially. And so he, he's got this great problem, this great dilemma. And he's looking at the, at the wolf and he's looking at his sheep and he says, I've got to do something. And he goes, aha, I will reform this wolf. I'll reform him. I will change him so he doesn't eat the sheep anymore. So he calls the wolf over and the wolf comes to him and he grabs the wolf with, his, with two big hands on either side of the wolf's, wolf's face and he, he digs him into the fur and he's got him and he's, he says, Wolf, I want you to listen to me. I love you. I saved you. I rescued you. But I don't want you to eat sheep because I love them too. And so you need to change now. So I'm going to give you one simple commandment, one new rule that which you're going to follow. Don't eat anybody else. Don't eat the sheep. That's it. One simple rule. Don't eat sheep. It should be easy to remember. There are only three words. Don't eat sheep. Say it with me. Don't eat sheep. So he, he just says that to this wolf and the wolf says, okay. See, hearing it says, okay, I, I want to do that because I love you. I want to love you. I want to obey you. I, I, all right, I won't eat the sheep. But the shepherd, knowing that you've got to give more than just a don't. Because if, you, if you all you give is a don't, you're not, you're not giving the guy a good chance of success. So he says, I'm going to give you a don't. I'm going to give you the negative. But I'm also going to give you the positive. Here's the do. What I want you to do is eat grass. Okay? Because that's what the other sheep do. You eat grass. So don't eat sheep. Eat grass. And, and it's more than I'm just going to give you what to do. I'm going to tell you why to do it. So eat the grass because the grass is good for you. 
you know, this vegetarian diet, you know, it, it's got a lot of benefits. I mean, it will lower your cholesterol. You'll have more, more, more energy. You'll sleep better. Your bowel movements will be regular because they're high in fiber. Your, your fur will be shinier. Your, you won't have things stuck in your teeth. I mean, it'll be just so many benefits. Your breath will be better. Find some mint. It's great. It's just wonderful advantages now to eating this green grass. This is what I want you to do. So, don't eat the sheep. Eat grass. And he, he just says this to the wolf. And he sits down with the wolf and explains it. And the wolf, in love with the, sh the shepherd, says, Okay, this is what I'm going to do. Well, the shepherd turns his back and the wolf sees a sheep walk by. And then what does the wolf do? <laughs> Why? It's his nature. It's who he is. He literally cannot help himself. Do you understand that? As much as he will fight it, as much as he will struggle against it, he simply cannot fight it enough. Eventually he'll give in to who he is. And he'll go and he eats the sheep. Well, the shepherd turns his back in horror and in, in disgust and just frightening because he loves the, all his sheep. And this wolf whom he also loves is, is devoured one of the sheep, the ones he's determined to protect. And, and he can't believe what's happened. He says, haven't I told you the rules? And the, sh and the wolf looks back. He says, I know, I'm sorry. I've sinned. And this wolf looking at the shepherd with his best, I guess, puppy dog eyes or puppy wolf eyes, just looking at the shepherd says, well, I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? Will you find it in your heart to give me another chance? I, I love you. I, I will work harder. I rededicate myself to follow the rules. And the shepherd loving the wolf says, okay, I will forgive you because I love you. But please don't eat the sheep. They don't like it. It's not good for them. Don't eat the sheep. Eat grass. So he reminds him again of the rules. But then he realizes that giving him rules of what, do, what to do and not to do is simply not enough. And so he thinks for a little bit longer and he says, I know, I, I'm going to get you to, to look and act like the other sheep. Because that will help you to fit in more. And then you'll feel like you belong to this group and then you'll act like them. And so he grabs the wolf and he says, I need to get you to look like the other sheep. So he kind of bleaches his fur so it's kind of white and he, he cuts it back a little bit and cuts the t tail and he, he gives him a really bad perm so it looks all curly like the other sheep. And so now he looks like the sheep, but he wants to go even further and he says, I want you to talk like the other sheep now. So he begins to talk to him and, and to teach him how to talk like the other sheep. And his, his ba isn't so bad, you can understand it. I mean, you'd never mistake him for being native sheep, but you know, you can understand what he's saying. There's a little bit of an accent. But now he kind of talks like the other sheep, even sort of looks like the other sheep. Again, he's not going to win any prizes for it, but he looks sort of like it. And he, and he talks like them. And again, the shepherd reminds him of the rules, what to do and not to do. How to, what, what are the rules here? And the wolf, you know, desperate to, to please the shepherd, says, okay, this is what I'll do. And so striving and his effort and his hard work, he sees a, she a sheep walk by and he fights all his temptations, but eventually what does he do? Why? It's his nature. He's a wolf. Again, the shepherd looking at him, just crying out, and, and the wolf is just tears in his eyes. Will you forgive me? Give me another chance. And this shepherd seeing this permed wolf says, okay, I will give you one more chance. I'll give you another chance. I love you. But again, you cannot eat the sheep. And so he thinks, I know the problem is my fault. All I've been trying to do is change you from the outside in. I've got to change how you think now. 
So he, he gets this bracelet and he puts the bracelet on the front right paw of the wolf. And the bracelet are four little letters. WWLD. What would Lamb Chop do, it stands for? So he says, uh, whenever you're faced with a situation, I want you to stop and think and ask yourself, what would Lamb Chop do in this situation? And whatever Lamb Chop would do, you go and do it. You go and pull it off. You go and, and do what you think Lamb Chop would do. Do you understand that? And he says, okay. And he thinks, you know, it's a pretty bracelet too, and you can tell other people what, what it means. But just think, what would Lamb Chop do? Okay. And again, he reminds him of the rules, and he says, now go and, and live like a sheep. And so sure enough, he sees a sheep walks by, and what's he tempted to do? Eat it. But he says, wait a minute, because the pretty bracelet catches his eye. And he thinks, WWLD, what would Lamb Chop do? Okay, what would Lamb Chop do? And then he thinks, well, Lamb Chop would what? He would eat grass. So he thinks, i got to eat grass, because that's what Lamb Chop would do. That's what lamb, mm, lamb chop, oh, lamb chop. That would taste wonderful. A little applesauce and mm, lamb chop. And then what does he do? Has some lamb chop, right? He goes and he eats the sheep. Because why? What's the problem here? So we've changed him on the outside. We've tried to change some of his thinking, but you haven't changed who he is. It's still not enough. Well, the shepherd again forgives him, but he's determined to save this wolf because he loves the wolf. And so he says, I know what I'll do for you, Wolf. I'll, I'll put you in an accountability group. I'm going to get a group of other sheep together and they're going to keep you accountable. They're going to, to encourage you. They're going to remind you of the rules. They will, uh, they will pray for you. They will support you. They will remind you about what WWLD will do. They will stand by you and determine to help you not to eat any more sheep. Sure enough, the wolf gets tempted. He gets his accountability group together and he shares with them what they're wanting to do. They begin to pray over him. They begin to teach him and to read to him. And then what does he do? He's got a buffet, right? All you can eat. Has all the sheep, right? You know, he's, he's set for the day, right? Breakfast, lunch, and dinner, all in one sitting. Why? What's the problem here? He looks like them. He, he's trying to talk like them. He's, he's, what's the problem? <laughs> he is feeding them. What's the problem here? The wolf is a? And wolf eat? It's who he is. The wolf simply cannot be helped. And no matter what we do, I mean, if we send the wolf to conferences, if we send him to Bible studies, if we send him to, to courses, I mean, there's nothing we can do to save this guy. If he memorizes verses, if he reads books of the Lamb book, it just doesn't matter. He's going to be a wolf. And wolves do what? Eat sheep. That's who he is. And you're right. The shepherd is foolish. He's absolutely foolish for thinking that he can somehow reform the wolf. Yet, why did you laugh every time I suggested something else that the shepherd was going to do? That's what we do. The accountability groups. The bracelets. Trying to talk like the others, and act like the others. If we just read our Bible more, go to this course, go to this study, sit in church more, do this, do that, that somehow we could reform and change who we are. And that's not God's way. It completely ignores what God has already done. It ignores the power of God, the message of the cross. And you see, the shepherd finally realizes that no matter what he does, 
all his effort, all his hard work is simply not going to be enough. That he can't make his sheep into a community of good intentions to reform this wolf. So he decides to come up with a whole different plan. And he pulls the wolf and he gets this best lamb. The perfect lamb. The one that is blameless without spot. And he brings that lamb forward. And then he grabs two needles. And these are special needles. They don't just withdraw blood. They withdraw the very life. The very nature. The very spirit and essence of the, of the animal and the person. They will, He draws that out. And so that's what this needle does. So he sticks the first needle in the lamb and he withdraws all the lamb life out of the lamb. What happens to the lamb? Falls down dead. He is without life anymore. It has died. Then he takes another needle and he sticks the other needle into the wolf and he withdraws all the wolf life out of the wolf. What happens to the wolf now? It falls down dead. Now he buries that wolf needle so it never sees the light of day again. It is gone. It has disappeared. It ceases to exist now. And so now he has a dead wolf and a dead lamb. And one needle that's got the life of the lamb inside of it. Well, he takes that needle and he puts it into the lamb and he inserts half of that life back into the lamb. What happens to the lamb? comes back to life. With what kind of life? Lamb life. He takes that same needle though and he comes over to the wolf and he sticks it in the wolf and he puts the rest of it back into that wolf. And what happens to the wolf? He comes back to life. He is resurrected, but with what kind of life? Lamb life. He is now forever different than who he was before. Because he died, because that that wolf life was buried, and because he was resurrected with lamb life, He is a new person. He is a new creation. That almost sounds biblical, doesn't it? See, that's what God has done with you and I. He took you and I. We were the wolf. We were a wolf by nature. We were sinners to the core. We were rotten people. We deserved death. And we were under the dominion of sin and death. We were ashamed people. And God crucified us. You don't need to die to self. You don't need to die daily. Scripture never teaches that. You know why? Because you have died. Knowing this, our old self was crucified. We were crucified with Christ and we no longer live. We were buried with Christ. And then we were raised again with Christ but as a whole new person, a new creation with the new life of who? That perfect Lamb. Jesus Christ now dwelling inside of you and I. And so now this wolf with this new life, when he sees a sheep, what does he do? Nothing. Nothing at all. And now the shepherd says, I want you to eat grass. Okay. You know what? He actually wants to do that. That's now his nature. That's his desire. He wants to eat grass. You see, that's what it's like for you and I right now. We are new people who actually want to love people. When you have a thought, when you have a desire to not love somebody, you know what? That's not coming from you. That's coming from the enemy. That is not your desire. It is no longer your desire to sin. How do I know that? Because how do you feel after you sin? You feel miserable, right? 
Now you're finding out your true desire. You actually didn't want to do it. Because you're now a lamb. You are someone different. You want to do good. But again, we don't realize the power to do good doesn't rely on ourselves, but now on this new life we have. See, Paul says in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ now lives in me. In order for this wolf to live like a lamb, he now needs to depend upon the lamb within him to live through him. And as long as that lamb lives through him, he will live like a lamb. That's who he is. For you see, while a wolf in sheep clothing is still a wolf, a lamb in wolf's clothing is a lamb. And that's what you and I are. We are Christ in us. That is who you are. Christ now dwells inside of you. And all He's asking is for you and I to trust Him to live through us. But you see, you and I have a problem like that wolf. Imagine this wolf, after this incredible transformation, after this resurrection, he's now a new person, and he's being reminded by that of the other sheep. He walks by this, this still river, this, this slow-moving river one day, and he looks down in the river, and he catches, catches a glimpse of himself. And what does he see? He sees a wolf with a really bad perm, right? And he sees a wolf. What might he be tempted to think he is? What might he be tempted to believe he is? He might think, well, I'm a wolf. And wolves eat sheep. And so what must I do right now? I must eat a sheep. He might be tempted to do that because of what he sees. He doesn't see anybody different. He sees the same person that was eating all those sheep. And so he might be tempted to think he is still that same person. But what's the reality? What has the shepherd done to him? He has forever changed him on the inside. And that wolf now needs to remember that. And that's what happens to you and I. When we wake up in the morning, we catch a glimpse of ourselves and we see that same person that was living according to the flesh all those years before we ever met Christ and for maybe even living after the flesh all those years after we met Christ. And we might be tempted to think, I'm still that same person. But what's the reality? Do you not know? Have you not heard? That when Jesus Christ died on that cross, He took you and He placed Himself in you, so that, or in Himself, so that when you, when you were in that cross, you died with Him, and you were buried with Him, and you're now someone new. Someone that He has joined Himself to. Someone in whom He now dwells inside. That God, the one we just sang earlier this morning, how exalted, how wonderful, how powerful, how beautiful you are, He lives inside of you. All of Him, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit reside in you. In you, Joel. In you, Jacka. In you, Lori. Even in Brian. I know it's amazing. But He, all of Him, resides in us. And all He's asking, all He's wanting now, is a group of people to trust Him. It's remarkable, this morning we did that exercise where we had someone close their eyes and then someone now saying, will you trust me? Will you let me lead you? And that's what God's saying now. Close your eyes. 
Don't focus on what you see. Listen to my voice. My voice behind you. And it's hard because you can't feel me. You can't feel me holding you and directing you. There's nothing different. And I know there's something that you feel is only six inches from your face. face but will you trust me? Because I love you. I, I, I feel genuinely care, I, I genuinely care about you and I want to protect you. So will you trust me? Will you let me live in you? Will you let me guide you? Will you let me now empower you to live this Christian life? If you haven't already memorized this verse, I strongly encourage you to memorize it. Galatians 2 and verse 20. It says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ now lives in me. And the life that I now live in this body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself up for me. I simply do not know of a single verse that fully encapsulates the message of the cross, the gospel, better than that, as far as it pertains to living today. It is, in my mind, the most relevant Christian verse or most practical Christian verse you could ever discover in the Bible. I've been crucified with Christ. That old person is gone. And I no longer live. The wolf is gone. The old person you have is forever destroyed. And now Christ, Christ, Jesus Christ Himself lives in me. He wants to live through me. He wants to love people. He wants to care for them. In fact, He wants to do it in a way that only He can do it. And the life that I now live, my part, my role, the part that I play today, this Sunday morning, I live by faith. Trusting and depending upon Jesus Christ, the one who loved me, the one who gave up everything so he could be with me and in me, I trust him now to live through me. Because you see, I can't love my wife and my kids the way they need to be loved. I simply can't. And I'm faced with that reality each and every day because they are far more than I can handle in my pitiful little love that I have and of myself. My flesh can't do it. No matter how much I strive, no matter how much I work, no matter if I have an accountability group or a fancy bracelet or, or I read or I study, I can't do it. Because apart from Him, I can do... Again, that almost sounds biblical. But Jesus Christ, in me, He can do all things. And so He's saying, will you trust me? Will you let me live through you and love other people? Will you let me live through you that you guys can be a community of grace? That you can love me. That you can love yourself and you can love other people. That you can receive my love and then pass that on to others. Because my love, my resources, my power is limitless. You have no idea how big it is. You really don't. And all that power, all that might, all that dunamis in the Greek is at your disposal right now, waiting to be unleashed in you, if you would be willing to trust Him to do it. Say, God, I can't. So will you do it? And that faith is not a a one-time offering. It's not something we did one time like our salvation. It is a moment-by-moment-by-moment faith. That's what's difficult in this Christian life. It's not difficult to love people. It's difficult to trust God to love people. 
It's easy for me to try and do it. It's difficult to let God do it through us. Because our flesh is screaming. It's screaming, saying, you can do it. Or maybe more importantly, it's saying, if you don't, you'll get hurt. And so you better do something because nobody else will. And so I'm tempted to trust myself. But I'd be willing to trust God. Let Him love my spouse. Let Him love my kids. Let Him love my church and my friends. Let Him live through me in a way that only He can do it. Because He is the only person that can live a Christian life. And if I'm willing to do so, if I'm willing to let that happen, then that community of grace can transform this world. Much like it did in the first century when the church grew by thousands in a day and began to transform the entire face of this world in, in less than a generation. It wasn't what the church did. It wasn't what those, those apostles did. It was what God did in and through those people. And it was the power of God made possible because of the cross. It is no mistake. It is no mistake that the cross has become the the symbol of Christianity. And when you see a cross, I, I pray after today, you won't only see the place where Jesus died. Is that important? Absolutely. Of first importance. And to the world, it's foolishness. Why would Jesus need to die on a cross? That's ridiculous. Why? I mean, I'm not that bad. I'm certainly not worthy of death. Why would someone need to die so I could be forgiven? That's foolishness. And they're perishing. But there are a lot of Christians that are perishing too. Yes, they're one day going to heaven, but they're perishing in the now because they're struggling to find life right now. They're struggling trying to live life out of their flesh and it's simply not working. And yeah, it is kind of foolish that you died with Christ. That 2,000 years ago, you died with Christ. I can't explain that, really. I mean, I can try to give you some illustrations and examples, but, but simply put, it's kind of ridiculous. But do you realize some of the crazy things we believe as Christians? We believe, A, there's a God. You haven't seen Him. Probably haven't heard Him audibly. But we believe in God. We believe He created everything with words. He spoke it into existence. We believe He flooded the earth and He saved all the animals and eight, eight people on a boat. We believe that He, he, split, it, he, he split the river, uh, or the Red Sea to allow the people of Israel to cross. We believe that, that Jesus, God Himself, came to dwell as a man. When you can figure that one out, explain that one to me. God Himself came and lived as a man, died, was buried, rose three days later, and then some 40 days later, floated up to heaven and then sent God Himself, the Holy Spirit, to come live inside of us. That's some pretty crazy stuff to believe. But is it true? Absolutely. Absolutely. Why? Because God said it. And let, let every man be a liar that God may be true. Well, you know what else he says? He says, 2,000 years ago when my son died, you died with him. The old wolf is gone. You are not part wolf. No, the wolf is gone. You are not part sinner. The sinner is dead. It's not dying. It is dead. Knowing this, our old self 
was, past tense, completed act, crucified. You are now someone new. You are a saint. You want to love people. And now God has given you the power to pull that off with His Son, Jesus Christ, living inside of you. He gives you the ability because He gives you Himself. He is what is able. So I can love my wife as Christ loved the church because He's going to do it now. I can love my kids even when they are screaming at me because He can do it. The only question is, will I let Him? Will I trust Him? Will I, will I allow Him to do it through me? Or will I trust in myself? That's where the battle lies now. Where will I place my trust? Where will I place my faith? With God or my flesh? If it's with God, I don't have to worry about the flesh. But if I trust my flesh, then I will fail. Then I will become a community of good intentions. But if I trust God, then I can become a community of grace. Loving people. Accepting people. And reminding them that they too contain the Lamb inside them. And no matter where they are on their journey, they're okay. They're loved. And they don't have to become something. They can just be who they are. I've shared this message countless times with people and I've come to the conclusion, I can't make anybody get this. Trust me, there have been times I've wished I could. They've only been three feet from me and I wanted to grab them and shake them and say, will you just get this? and see the freedom and the hope and the glory that is in this, the power of God, and stop killing yourself and others around you. But I can't make them get it. The only thing I've discovered is God is only God can make you see it. So the question is, are you willing to let God see open your eyes to it? Are you willing to let God reveal to you the glory of your death with Him? that He might now live inside of you. That He might be the Christian, the wife, the husband, the son, the daughter, the friend, the pastor that He wants to be inside you. Heavenly Father, I thank You for the message of the cross. I thank You for the cross. May we, may we be willing to hear from You as You confirm Your message to be true. And may we choose to not believe the reflection we see in the mirror, but Your Word and what You say to us to be true. And be willing to trust that. Be willing to Let You now live through us as new people, new creations. That you, might be the pe- the, that you might cause us to be the people You want us to be. This community of grace opposed to a community of good intentions. So Father, it's up to You to open our hearts and our minds to this wonderful revelation. And I trust You to do so. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.